Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, John. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Brought to you today and powered by Meowbox. Meowbox is a monthly cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month. And please be sure to stay tuned a little bit later on in the show for a special promotion just for the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling, courtesy of our friends at Meowbox and Meowbox.com. And with that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I am graciously and humbly joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz, and John will be with us in just a second. But on today's show, you saw when you hit the download button, we have a man named Chris Ford. But you might know him as Devin Storm or, for the old school WCW fan, Crowbar. And what a great talk that we had the chance to get to sit down with Chris Ford, a.k.a. Devin Storm, a.k.a. Crowbar. And for John and I, it's a little bit of a selfish booking because we get to sit there and shoot the breeze about something we know very well, and that is the New Jersey independent wrestling scene of the mid to late 1990s. So now you're going to see over the next couple of shows, that theme is going to continue. But let's start off with Devin Storm. And obviously, John, you and I have had the opportunity to see Devin compete in so many different independent matches uh, throughout, like I said, the mid to late 1990s. But why don't we talk about how we got the opportunity to see this guy before the national landscape got the chance to see this guy. And, And we were really in for a treat because he was pretty much a standout from the get-go yes indeed chatty boy back again another great episode here at the two-man power trip of wrestling and today is one that me and you both enjoyed being from new jersey and going to many many new jersey indie shows back when we were kids and a couple of highlights of those shows was definitely you know, you get the reckless use of the world, you got the ace darlings of the world, but then, of course, you got the Devin Storms of the world. And Devin Storm, a.k.a. Crowbar, was our guest today, and what an amazing interview we had with him. So much fun, and we kind of were 
you know, dying to get him on for a while. And, we, you know, we finally, you know, got it to work. But what a guy to have on, especially for us being the New Jersey boys that we are and watching him on the independent scene for so many years. Him and Ace Darling as a team, as the extremists, or as uh, they were called in WCW, I guess almost as a little make fun of ECW, they were called the extreme. Uh, if anybody remembers them on Nitro, him and Ace Darling. But uh, I'll get to that in a second. But, you know, we knew we used to go to a lot of the New Jersey indie scenes and Devin Storm and Ace Darling as a tag team would stand out. And then when they had their one-on-one matches, it would stand out. And Devin Storm was definitely one of the best guys on the scene, for sure. And then, obviously, you know, he would get picked up by WCW and he'd wrestle all around the world and he wrestled for every major promotion. So you kind of saw how good he was and then you kind of loved that he was, you know, getting that respect and getting out there and finally almost getting the recognition that he deserved being, you know, the great talent that he is. But, you know, thinking back to those days, almost those those glory days, you know, we'd go to the, the high school gyms or, or, you know, the churches or, you know, the random places everywhere. And, you know, they, they drew some really, really good houses and, you know, they'd have some major stars in there. You mean, you see the King Kong Bundys of the Worlds. Uh, you see the Brutus Beefcake, Bam Bam Bigelow occasionally. And those guys were, you know, they they had okay matches. You know, you kind of went there to see them. But then when you were there watching it and then you were leaving, you remember, you know, you sit around with your friends and you're like, well, it was cool to, uh, to meet Bam Bam, but that guy Devin Storm stole the show. He was amazing. I got to see that guy wrestle again. And then you go to the next show and you keep seeing Devin Storm wrestling. And you're like, man, this is the best guy, uh, you know, on, on these shows. This guy's amazing. He, he needs to get picked up somewhere. And it's just, just such great memories as a kid. And then watching him, you know, as I, I got older and you got older, watching him wrestle, you know, in basically every promotion was great to see, especially coming from seeing him, you know, be the standout of the New Jersey independent scene. And John, you mentioned some of those great venues like the infamous St. Joe's Gym in Keyport, New Jersey, or how about even the Holy Family Church uh, Arts and Crafts Center, whatever it was where some of these shows used to be, or hey, even the Middletown High School South Gymnasium ran a couple of those NWA New Jersey shows, but we weren't going to be the only ones who got to see Devin Storm perform for very long because it wasn't soon after that that others came knocking on his door. So, of course, you know, then eventually he would make a couple different spots. You know, he would do some dark matches for WWE, Shotgun Saturday Night, uh, Sunday Heat, all those kind of things, and all those kind of shows. And then, of course, WCW's on Saturday Night. He's on Monday Nitro. Him and Ace Darling as the, quote-unquote, the extreme. They weren't the extremists for some reason. Uh, partially, po- uh, possibly WCW making fun of ECW a little bit. But him and Ace Darling were on Monday Nitro against the Outsiders twice for the WWE tag titles was just amazing. And we do get into that, into it. Like, did he mind that it was a squash match? Did he care? And he has, you know, great, great response about that and how he was on the number one show, uh, wrestling wise, of course, in 1997. And they were killing WWF. And he was on the number one show on, you know, the number one league in WCW at that point. So it was great to be on Monday Nitro. And it was awesome as a fan to see that because, you know, Chad, me and you, we go to the shows and we see. Ace Darling and Devin Storm dominating, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh my god, they're on Monday Nitro Wrestling, Hall and Nash, the Outsiders, for the WWE Tag Title, so I mean, it was really cool, it was really fun, and then eventually, um, he had some, you know, great matches uh, that a lot of people may, may not have seen, but like Saturday Night, and Worldwide, and stuff like that, and he's having great matches with Benoit, and all these guys kind of under the radar, but then... 
WCW realizes this, and then they pick him up, and they turn him into Crowbar, and, you know, and then he had a great run as Crowbar, and he did a lot of great things. He won the WCW tag title with David Flair, which we get into a great story about why David Flair was even on TV to begin with, because obviously he wasn't a good worker, and he needed a good worker as a tag team partner, and that's where uh, Devin Storm, a.k.a. Crowbar, came into it. Great story about that. We go into detail about that. We go into his WWE Hardcore title run. We talk about him winning the WWE Cruiserweight Championship. So a lot of great stuff. And Crowbar is definitely remembered fondly, you know, on this show by us because we absolutely loved him. And we finally thought, like, wow, now he's finally made it and he's finally on TV. They're finally using him. And, uh, you know, it was kind of short-lived because WWE obviously didn't last for much longer than that. But it was absolutely great. That, you know, he had the run that he had and he got the recognition because obviously he'd, he'd wrestle, you know, for TNA after that and he'd have a small run in ROH and things like that. But, and, and obviously he's still wrestling today, but we get into why he's successful outside of the wrestling business as well. So definitely stick around for that if you're a big fan of uh, Devin Storm because you'll want to know what he's doing today and, and, and you'll want to hear about all the success that he's having. But he's one of those guys, just an underrated talent and, you know, you hate to sound, you know, almost like a smarky you know smart mark saying like oh, i knew it from the beginning i knew it from when i was a kid that this guy was going to be great but you know we really did we said that this guy you know has got star potential written all over him and i was glad to see him succeed in the way he did because uh somebody that we liked as a kid and thought like wow this guy is amazing he's a great wrestler and then you know he kind of got his just due in getting picked up by wcw and uh, used quite prominently on tv for quite a while yeah, very well said, and it was great that WCW did give him that opportunity to become Crowbar and give him that national landscape to perform and really get that hardcore division, which WCW was really trying to jumpstart at that point to uh, get that hardcore division going and really pulling out all the stops. And Devin Storm really fit perfectly into that, excuse me, Crowbar, or Chris Ford, which I want to mention before we throw it to the interview. Please stay tuned to hear what Chris Ford is doing these days because it's absolutely phenomenal what he actually has done for himself since leaving wrestling, uh, not on a full-time basis because he does wrestle uh, part-time, um, and he's actually rehabbing from an injury. But take a listen to what he's doing with himself these days because, to me, that's one of the most impressive things of anybody's career is when they can retire from full-time competition and go on to be very successful. And you're going to find out in upcoming episodes that Devin Storm and a former partner of his are kind of in the same vein that they really they set themselves up very nicely following retirement and I just want to say enjoy this because it was a lot of fun and it was great going back down memory lane, especially to those old school New Jersey indie shows because uh, John and I look back on those very, very fondly. So something else we look back fondly on is our relationship now with TopRowPress.com. And if you're listening to these in real time, we're going to be going back to two episodes a week, but you can catch that third episode on TopRowPress.com. we got exclusive best-ofs and some original content heading TopRowPress.com's way in the next couple of weeks. So we want you to go over there and check them out. But also we want you to go over to Meowbox.com and check them out. And if you haven't done so already... We want you to put that elusive code POWERTRIP10 in all capitals. Again, it's POWERTRIP10. Throw that bad boy into the checkout box, and you're going to get 10% off your first monthly box subscription. Again, that's 10% off your first monthly box subscription, and that is just because you are a listener of the two-man power trip of wrestling. And with that being said, John, I'm going to throw the ball over to you. I'm going to let you run the rest of the way, hit him with a little two-man power trip of wrestling business, and tell them a little bit more about Meow Box. Yes, Meow Box, baby. They are the best. They have a 
little service called One Box Can, where every Meow Box purchase will get you a can of food donated to a shelter cat on your behalf. So that is excellent. Also remember, all edible items are made in the USA or Canada, so you know where your edible items are coming from. Now, if you have a picky cat like mine, Lucy, who uh, has a bit of a special diet, you can replace your edible items with toys and surprises, which little Lucy absolutely loves, and that is great of Meowbox. So just remember, folks, that is Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. Again, Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. And now on to some TMPT business. Chad, as you previously mentioned, we are now part of the Top Rope Press family. That's right, Top Rope, excuse me, TopRopePress.com and the Top Rope Press Radio Network. We're a part of them and we're giving exclusive best ofs every week on there. So please check us out there and please check out TopRopePress.com for all your wrestling needs because they're the best in the business today. Also, some more TNPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Rasslin Pal and at Two Man Power Trip. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while you're on iTunes, check out the feed for past great episodes with the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Sergeant Slaughter, Tully Blanchard, Stan Larry Hansen, The Blueprint, Matt Morgan. Scotty Riggs, Jerry Lynn, and so, so, so many more. So please check us out on iTunes. Don't forget about the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And speaking of another great sports network that we're associated with, check us out every week on the I-95 Sports Network. Google it up and check it out. That is the I-95 Sports Network. We're bringing best ofs and exclusives to them as well. So please check us out on there. Always some good stuff. Now... If you're interested in booking Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, a.k.a. Kevin Fertig, please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. Just remember one thing, he's back out of exile, and if you can, check out the pictures of his transformation because he is looking huge. He's back, and he's in great shape, and he wants to bring the bike club to a town near you. So email us. For all that booking information on the big man and why you're at it, go check out the Kevin Thorne page on Pro Wrestling Tees. They're making the greatest t-shirts in the history of the wrestling business. So please go to ProWrestlingTees.com for all your Kevin Thorne t-shirts. And you too can be a member of the Bike Club. And now, without any further ado, a man that has wrestled for WWE... WCW, ECW, TNA, ROH, and a million other places around the world. He's a former WCW Hardcore Champion, a former WCW Cruiserweight Champion, and of course, a former WCW World Tag Team Champion. He is Crowbar, a.k.a. Devin Storm. Please enjoy. Joining us on the line today is a man very familiar to the two-man power trip of wrestling because we grew up watching him on the New Jersey independent scene. You might know him as Devin Storm. You might know him as uh, Crowbar from WCW. But to us, 
Chris Ford is joining us today on the two-man power trip of wrestling. And, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. Hey, what's going on? Okay, let's talk. All right. <laughs> yeah, let's talk. So, like I said, right yeah. out of the gate, I know you very well sure. from the New Jersey independent scene back in the late 90s where you could not go to a show without seeing Devin Storm putting on a show. And I just want to get into how you got into the business. You went to the infamous Iron Mike Sharp School of Wrestling. Please tell us about how you became a professional wrestler and how was Iron Mike? Because uh, I heard that that was a, a very cool place to be if you wanted to get into the business. Yeah, I was always a, a, a huge fan. Obviously, that's how most of us get into the business. You know, you get a handful of uh, I, guys that get involved just because they, you know, kind of stumble into it or somebody brings them in. But, you know, the majority of us grow up being huge fans of it. And uh, it gets to the point where being a fan just is not enough. And uh, I became aware that Mike Sharp was opening up a school. Uh, at, at the time, I was probably a sophomore or junior, junior in high school. So uh, I knew he was opening up a school. I think the projected date for it to open was six months or eight months from that time. So I got a job as a like a busboy in a local catering hall, the Landmark, on Route 17 in New Jersey. And I worked crazy weekend hours, and uh, I saved my pennies up and uh, went to Mike Sharp School. You know, and uh, I was actually his first student there. You know, so it was actually my money that helped him, uh, you know, keep the doors open at the very beginning when it was a little slow. Yeah, and a lot of names filtered through there uh, after, I guess, wow, that's really cool that you were the first student, but a lot of names yeah. came through, a lot of familiar names that uh, I think the fans would definitely uh, remember, but as being the first student, what was your role in the uh, the school after that? Did he kind of keep you on board as uh, somebody to help train some of these new guys coming in? A little bit. You know, like at the at first it, it, it was really just me and a handful of guys, and then, uh, you know, we went in there and uh, he – would get in the ring once in a while, and, and he would show us stuff as as the roster grew and grew and grew. You, you know, it, as with any wrestling school, the like inevitably the like you start learning from each other. You, you know, the teacher will observe and critique and show you stuff, but you really learn a lot by going in the ring and working out with each each other, finding you, you know what your certain niche or moves going to be, and just you know all all coupled in with, you know, doing fundamentals and st stuff like that. So uh, I lived a l little further away than ev everyone else. I was probably about an hour and a half away. So um, I got down there about once, twice a week, you know, and inevitably that became a, 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 like a big deal. So I continued to attend Mike Sharp School, but then I also found East Coast Pro Wrestling School up here, and I was kind of going to both schools at the same time because these, the East Coast School was, you know, kind of like 20 minutes away, a lot closer than, you know, an hour and a half. So, you know, I was doing Mike Sharp School. I was doing the East Coast School. I really didn't get into that much of a, like a teacher role there because I just was not there all, all the time. Right. Yeah, and to get a little uh, inside baseball here, uh, the school was located in Brick. So where you're coming from, that that's a that is not a fun ride, especially uh, during nah, the rush hour the points of the day. Yeah. So yeah, exactly <laughs> the summertime, the rush down the shore. That's not a uh, not a fun place to be. But other um, you know other great talents came out of there, like Mike Bucci, aka Nova, uh, Nova aka Simon Dean, uh, the Haas brothers, Russ and Charlie came out of there. But is there anybody that really stands out to you as one of like the premier guys that came out of that school alongside yourself that was really like a can't miss uh, talent? 
I say this all the time. I mean, hands down, I think the best talent that ever came out of Mike Sharp's school never really got their true due in let the business let the guy could have a great match with a you know like you've heard the cliche you know so and so could have a great match with a, a broomstick. Well, Ace Darling could have a like a great match with a broken broomstick and just a great all 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 around polished wrestler, uh, good at doing every, everything. You know he could talk, he could wrestle, he could high fly, and uh, just never really gotten the break that he should have gotten. But uh, you know out out of everybody that came out of that school, in my opinion, you know, the best, uh, the most well-rounded best wrestler. And a frequent tag team partner uh, of <laughs> Devin Storm. Tag, uh, tag team partner on that New opponent. Jersey Independent yeah. Yes, of course, yeah, but, and that's, uh, you know, funny enough, as John and I were preparing, I have it, and it's uh, it's a very funny picture. It's from 1998. It's a friend of mine, myself, you, and Ace Darling. I think we're holding the NWA uh, Tag Championship belts mm-hmm. from uh, the infamous uh, NWA New Jersey uh, Dennis Carluzzo Ahmed Johnson phone number incident. So it was uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> it was a hell of a night. But why don't you talk about that New Jersey independent scene in the late '90s and how hot it really was? Because you know you could go to a show and there was just a couple thousand people. Building was hot and the crowd was uh, juiced to watch a little wrestling. There was a handful of promotions and let they use top notch talent. You know what I mean? So it. Uh, he had Dennis Carluzzo, he had a Dennis Glam, he had Frank Goodman, Cousin Luke ran once in a while, ECPW ran their shows once in a while, and it was, a, you know, but overall it was a very small group of guys running shows, and, and all the shows were good. You, you know, you had guys uh, you really couldn't see in, in anywhere else, and, and you had a, hand, a handful of names. You, you know, these days are there's a whole lot of shows, there's an overabundance of shows, you know, just not, you know, not all. All of them are very good, and and the downside of that is if you get a fan that's will that's willing to go out there and give it um, indie wrestling a chance and actually see what it's about, and they're exposed to a bad show, you know that might sour them on the whole indie wrestling experience. Also, the landscape of wrestling has changed. You know, you got and and NXT, and even going back before that, like at WCW with the, you know, they eventually took on the cruiserweight. You had. ECW, you know, doing their style. Prior to all that, you know, in order to see like that extreme or like a Japanese, you know, uh, hardcore esque style, you really didn't see it on WWE, uh, you know, Raw or or on any of their products that was more geared for family like entertainment. You know, uh, ECW created that revolution, and then more and more you saw that kind of action on a mainstream TV. So the in my opinion, the independent shows became less special because you, you know, you took one of the things that did, that, that that a lot of people went to independent shows for, you know, and you know, going way back, you know, saying like ninety two, ninety three, you would go to an like independent show to see Sabu, to see a Jerry Lynn, guys like that that weren't on on the TV and were going to put on a hell of a show, and now you're seeing that same kind of action, same kind of wrestling, or something similar to that on. TV now, so it did. It just, in my opinion, it just made the appeal of of the independent shows less, and it took away one of their main strengths. Was that was one of the things that that they offered that you really couldn't see on mainstream TV. 
Right, exactly. Yeah, and we're actually, you mentioned hardcore and ECW, and we're going to get to ECW in a minute, but I just want to stick with this New Jersey uh, indie scene at the time because not only Devin Storm, not only Ace Darling, but you you were going to see a great talent on nearly every show you went to, not, you know, including the big names because they were there and they came in and out, and I don't know what kind of agreement they had working at the time for some of the, the WWF, quote, talent to come in. But uh, we talked to Steve Carino uh, not too long ago, another guy I know you have a lot of uh, familiarity with from these sure. matches, yep. and uh, we did talk about a match specifically that uh, you guys had in New Jersey where uh, I think it was you broke his nose or broke his jaw or something, but you guys had some pretty intense matches for that NWA light heavyweight championship. But talk about working Steve Carino at that point uh, in both your careers. Uh, I think it was the uh, light heavyweight tournament, and like I said, at the time, the guys at that time would just go out there, and we were all just dying to make a name for ourselves, you know, we're going out there busting our ass and, you know, leaving it all out there, trying to give the the people the best shows, you know, so, so I guess he might have got popped in, in the nose, I've been popped in the nose plenty of times, had my nose broken and, uh, you know, b- b- busted open by best friends and, and it, it was just something at, at the time that was a common occurrence, you saw guys going out there, you know, really wanting to put on an outstanding show and unfortunately, Guys would get banged up here and there. It, you know, for the fans, it was great. They saw some intense stuff. You know, they saw some some legit busting open of uh, guys. And uh, you know, as as you, as you get older, you, you get smarter. You try to uh, like avoid some of those things. But uh, uh, <laughs> I, I, like at that time, that was just the with the energy and with the mindset of that crop of guys. You know, you had uh, with the Steve Carinos, the Ace Darlings, the Novas, the Reckless Youth, and like you had guys out there that we'd go out there and we'd kill each other. And what the payoff was, the fans saw some great, great stuff. Totally. And then uh, let's just hit on your ECW time now. There's a couple uh, couple things that really stand out. One is the match you had with Taz uh, that I think was that your first appearance with ECW? Yeah, it was my first shot. Yeah. Yeah. So you had that one, then you had the infamous, uh, and I, I always think I say infamous because it's very funny, the Loser Leaves Town match with uh, Two Gold Scorpio. That was yeah. a, a come-and-go kind of thing. But talk about being in that original ECW, what it was like uh, at that point for you in your career, You know, the atmosphere, and uh, getting in that environment at that point in your career. Was promised the world coming in of uh, of course you know we want to do this with you we, we want to do that with you we want to work you with Sabu we want to work you with this guy that guy and then uh, you, you know at that time I was probably like 21 or two you know very naive you know I was just you know some kid having a real good time doing a uh, the wrestling thing while I was in college you know and I was just going out there and enjoying myself real really never had my hand on or let my finger on let the pulse of how much politics play a role in uh in wrestling and uh you know it sounds like like a cop out to with the blame politics but it is huge in pro wrestling you know who who you hang out with or what you do but behind the curtain and and after you guys leave the building you know ecw is a very hardcore and uh, party atmosphere the guys went out they tore it up and uh i would arrive at the arena and you know i'd be doing homework in, in the back i was a full-time student going for for a physical therapy degree so i'd be in the corner doing my stuff and uh you know that probably wasn't looked upon at too favorably by the what the locker room you, you know when the show was was finished i went back to my room and slept while I, everybody went out and uh they toured up and did whatever crazy stuff they wanted to do and in like, hindsight that you know career-wise that probably wasn't the best or ecw 
career-wise, it probably wasn't the best for me. It, you know, for me as as an individual, I'm probably way better off, uh, you know, health-wise and everything else. And uh, you know, actually deciding to leave ECW was one of the best things that ever happened to me. It was very motivational. That uh, you know, uh, to me, I, I I had to accept and come to the decision they're not going to use me well here. I'm not going to overcome this stigma of, of the locker room, you know, that they're not going to, you know, these guys just didn't like me for whatever reason. A handful of the guys did, but a lot of guys just didn't. And that played a huge role in what you do and what you don't do in the, in the wrestling ring. You know, in hindsight, you look back and, you, you know, so much, you know, a, a, like a portion of what you do is in in the ring. Like a huge part of it is uh, what you do outside of the ring. Uh, but blessing in disguise, left ECW, quit. Let uh, decided I was going to better myself. And at that very young age, you had that ad, uh, that attitude. I'll show these guys, and uh, like I honed my craft, got in shape. Uh, like I sent a video down to WCW, made a few phone calls, and uh, you know it ended up that me leaving ECW was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me in my career. Yeah, exactly. That's fantastic to uh, to hear. And it's funny because, you know, the style that you would have a little bit more later in your WCW run was of that hardcore uh, nature and a little rough and tumble uh, versus in ECW. You know, you were having good matches and you were really, you know, putting on a show. But uh, how much did that open the door for you in terms of the exposure outside of just uh, the Northeast? I know ECW is still local at the time, but people were trading. People were, you know, uh, word of mouth like crazy, the hotline, this and that. But uh, how did that help you get your name out there more on a national landscape i i actually had my first exposure with wcw prior to ecw i did a, a like a nitro and a few saturday nights work conan on nitro work eddie guerrero on saturday night and uh it, it was just really uh like a nightly deal there you know it's it's when they were bringing in a lot of cruiserweight guys from all over the country and also the states uh, whatever the country and let the world rather, uh, you know, just to to bolster up and give the appearance that they had that, that they had this huge cruiserweight division, you know. So that was, you know, that uh, that benefited me and that I was able able to get on national TV. But at at the time, you know, even pursuing a full time WCW career wasn't feasible. I was full time in school, going for for a physical therapy d- degree and all that. So uh, after after those initial shots with WCW, uh, ECW was really a great alternative. It was mainly East Coast based, went as far north as Boston, as probably far south as Maryland, maybe uh, Baltimore or something like that, and in Western Pennsylvania. And all their shows were basically Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, so I would finish up class on Friday, hop in a car, and go to where wherever the what the show was. So it was actually, uh, you know, the WCW probably. Uh, opened the door for me for ECW at uh, at that time because I had had that exposure on Nitro and stuff like that. So, it, you know, I mean, and then, uh, you know, also during that first round in, I had uh, like, I had met some people like Kevin Sullivan, Diamond Dallas Page, uh, Jimmy Hart, who down the line would ultimately end up opening up the doors for me to, to, to go down there on a full-time basis. And even before that, I know ECW kind of opened the door, and then, you know, you, you meet some guys from WCW, and you get the door open up later on. But even before then, you were actually made a brief uh, pit stop in the WWF, and, you uh, you know, you were part of the lightweight tournament there. 
And you, yes. you, know, you, you lost to the eventual winner, Takamishinoku. What was the experience like in the WWF at that point? I was actually excellent. You know, it was, uh, once again, still full-time in college. I was actually on internship doing a, a, a I was working on, on an internship at Hackensack University Medical Center up here. And, uh, you, you know, they take those things pretty seriously. You know, they don't want you to let them miss and, and the hours, this, that, the other, the other thing. So I'd gotten a call from Jim Cornette. He said, yeah, we want to put you in a tournament against Ataka. And at the time, that's a huge opportunity. So I had to go up to the uh, – led the head of clinical education and really state my case. And, uh, and he allowed me to go up there and, you know, do the tournament itself. So that actually worked out great. Yeah. Did you have any experience, you know, with, I know with obviously with Cornette, but did you have any experience with Vince McMahon at that point? Did you guys, you know, cross paths at all? Not really, you know. I mean, and you know, and it shouldn't even uh, really be expected that he's like, he's the king of the castle up there. The last thing he's worried about is some, you know, some, uh, cruiserweight guy walking around the back who's on a nightly contract uh <laughs> i've seen him in passing but never really anything outside of uh, you know hello mr mcmahon and maybe getting a, a hello or a nod back you know let's so really nothing i do remember you and ace had a couple of wwf matches as well um, yeah they brought us in as a tag uh I think Cornette had really gone to bat for us. I think he liked us as a tag team. Uh, you, you know, we worked with Brian Christopher and uh, uh, Scotty Tuhati in a match. At, uh, you know, they were too cool. Uh, no, not too cool. What were they? Too hot. Oh, too, too much. Cool, whatever. Too much before the rap thing. You know, before they started yeah. doing the rap thing. Uh, uh, wrestled with them. Uh, Jim Cornette actually got us a, a dark match against the Misfits in Philadelphia, which was a whole lot of fun. And and it it just never clicked though. It just never caught on for for whatever reason. I know Cornette was in our our corner doing the best he can, but who knows what they're thinking at that time? You know, maybe we just didn't fit what they wanted to do. And another thing about when you you move on from WWF and you know. WCW started to notice, uh, and something, you know, I pop for it. It's like, oh, my God, the Outsiders are the WCW Tag Team Champions. They're on Nitro, you know, they're calling out, you know, former Tag Team Champions and stuff, and they're calling out former Tag Teams. And then, you know, the extreme, you and Ace Darling come out. What two weeks in a row, back-to-back back Monday nights. Yeah. yeah, That was so funny. I was like, oh, my God, I know these guys. That's, you know, they're from New Jersey. That's crazy. They're, you know, they're fighting the Outsiders. You know, and the NWA yeah. was so hot at that point. What was it like, you know, sure. being a part of that? Uh, we just knew we were going in to get killed, but it was uh, also very ex- uh, exciting. It was a real exciting time during WCW. The NWO was red hot, you know what I mean? And uh, just being in, in with the backstage during the time and just hearing how these huge crowds were reacting to the action and knowing we were going to get an opportunity later on to go out there and be in front of that crowd was great, you know. And once again, it was a another time where I would – you know, be able to sp- sp- speak to people backstage and ultimately make contacts that would help me get a, a job later on, you know, during the crowbar years, you know, the uh, the full-time gig. So it was a lot of fun traveling down there, you know, Ace Darling, my best friend, you know, hopping on the same plane, going down there to do TV, you know, uh, you know, two young guys just having a r- r- real good time, ex- excited to be doing TV and, uh you know, it, it, it was just a real great time in my life. It was a lot of fun. It was awesome, you know, to be a part of that. I know you said you got killed. I know there were, like, you know, past flash matches, but pretty cool because Hall and Nash were basically the hottest thing in wrestling at that point in the NWO. Absolutely, yes. Yep. Absolutely. And to be a part of that, you know, it's 
pretty damn cool. And obviously Nitro was killing Raw at that point as well. I mean, they were they were dominating the ratings too. So it's another you know cool feather in the cap. Like, yeah, it was on the number one show. Yep. Now, if I could stay on the topic of WWE, you know, you mentioned obviously your crowbar, and you you know you're going to get a contract, you're going to sign with WCW. Who was your boss at that point? Was it Bischoff or was it Vince Russo? The guy that first brought me in was uh, Bischoff, and uh, he signed. He brought me in. We were. Uh, I was probably there. I'd say maybe two, three months, and then you had the big turnover where it was a huge shock to everybody in the company that Bischoff was gone, and now Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara, Bill Banks are like coming down from WWE, and uh, they're the new creative people. You know, so probably good, like, uh, I I had been there training at the power plant, just trying to get sharp and stuff like that. And then probably three, four months in, we got that news. And then it's, you know, it was a real, you know, no one really knew where they stood job-wise or, this, you know, whether Vince would like them or not. You know, like everybody knew he was more into the entertainment aspect and uh, some of the wilder stuff as as opposed to, you know, WCW had some wild stuff going on, but they, you know, they they appeared to be more wrestling related than WWE was at the time. So everybody really wasn't sure where they stood or how the product was going to change and how that change was going to affect them. So it was exciting, but it was a very nerve wracking time for a lot of talent as well. No doubt about it. And then you always hear rumors of WWE like there's so much uh, turmoil, there's so much backstage politics. When you're backstage, you know, and you're in the locker room stuff, at that point, are you sensing like, man, this place is in shambles, or man, there's so much politics going on? You know, you don't, you know, you don't know who to trust. You know, once again, uh, when I talk about like about this too, it's you're, you know, I was twenty something, and I had very naive eyes, and uh, part of it was just because of of the situation I had created for myself. You know, I had gotten my degree, uh, I had. Uh, degree in physical therapy. I had passed my licensure. I, I, I had already worked for about a year before they signed me, so I had already gotten my feet wet. I had already been a practicing clinician, and I knew regardless of what happened wrestling-wise, you know, my future was set. I'd always be able to go back to physical therapy. You know, it's a very in-demand in field. At, at the time, you could go to any state and you know, you could like apply for five jobs and, and get five jobs within a day. You know what I mean? So I really was able to go into my whole WCW time as it, uh, as it was as, as something I never expected to attain. Uh, whatever comes out of it is a bonus. It's a whole lot of fun. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to ride this out and it's have a whole lot of fun. I never really had that, uh, you know, like you had guys there on on top making crazy money, and you would look at them and they were miserable. You know, and I guess part of that comes from the fact that when that's all you do, you know what I mean. You never know when you're going to get cut or how long that's going to run. And you know, although you're making a lot of great money, it's not going to be something that's going to last you the rest of your life. And when your body is unable able to do this, maybe some of these guys maybe can't do any, anything else. So I really never had that outlook you know what i mean it was like a time that i never expected to have i felt very fortunate to get and i was gonna have a really good time while i was there so i really i saw the craziness but i i, I didn't become absorbed with it because worst case scenario i get fired and i go back to my regular life and i'll find a, a great job you know what i mean so it i really never got into that 
mindset where the craziness got to me too much. Once in a while, when I had a push, I was more, or whatever, where, uh, like, had a little shove for, like, a couple of weeks. They would use you a couple of weeks, not use you, not use you. And, and I saw potential in something I would like to do, and I would voice that to somebody, and they go, ah, no, nah, that's not good. They get a little frustrating, uh, but never to the point where I really got crazy with it. You know, WCW was definitely a, like a situation where the, you know, the inmates were running the asylum to a certain degree. You know, you had some guys making a lot of money on top. You had a lot of former name guys from Vince or guys that had had, had become names through WCW calling the shots. And, uh, you know, you saw it on, on a regular basis, you know, finishes changed or, uh, you know, there'd be, be like a finish set. And then you would see that person go negotiate to how they would like it done better because it didn't fit their character, you know, who called sick or who had their mom calling sick for them because they didn't feel like going to TV or a house show. It was just uh, a complete debacle. You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, yeah, but it's like overall for me, it was a really good time. Yeah. And you kind of got, you know, in the midst of all that at one point though, especially when the Russo jumps up board, you kind of got a big push, but with a weird pairing. And, you know, from my view, obviously you and Daphne sit together perfectly, but then they put David Flair in with you guys, and he was kind of a, a nutty character. But he didn't really have a lot of experience. But you, you know, but you, you know, end up winning the tag titles, and you had a few, I believe, the Mama Loops, and, and you guys had a lot of uh, good tag matches. But I wouldn't say so much it was because of David Flair. Did you like the pairing, you know, David Flair? Did you think that was a little bit, you know, odd? Well, it got me a shot. You know, at the at the time, they I I had been be, I had been being groomed more or less to be the next. A cruiserweight to come up from the Saturday Night Show and the, the, the power plant and all that to eventually go to let Nitro and Thunder. I had worked with some of the power plant guys on a Saturday Night Show. Worked with Chris Benoit in a, like a match where, where, we, where we tore it down, and it was already talk of like me being brought up to the main show to you know, do stuff with the cruiserweights. You know, actually be a like a new cruiserweight talent. Come in, you know, which would have been cool. I was always a big fan of a cruiserweight work, and then uh, you know the management changed. You had Vince, Ed, and uh, like a Bill come in and became more character driven. You had David Flair, who not a strong in ring character, and he knew it, in ring worker. But for whatever reason, his character was popping a rating. You know, you could go back and check, and I. Remember having this conversation with people who are hearing it spoken about within the power plant, you know, the uh, with the management. You know, David Flair is terrible, but people are tuning in with the CMB a psycho. So they're, like, the solution there was let's team him with somebody who could do the majority of the in-ring work, and it, that way we could have the best of both worlds. We, we could actually have a like a solid match go on, but and we could keep David out there you know, doing the psycho thing, and you know we could kind of camouflage the fact that he's not that strong of, of a wrestler. And, you know, that's ultimately what brought me from the Saturday night show up to the main roster. Which is great. And like you said, I mean, that's, I guess it would be the best of both worlds. I wasn't even aware that he was popping a rating. So I guess, you know, it kind of does make sense to keep him out there and yep. keep him with that kind of funny gimmick. Yep. Yeah. Now, a, a, a lot of people don't follow that. They actually, you know, they actually did watch that, you know, at that time, you know, the, like it was all about the ratings. And for whatever reason I had heard this, you know, on the many, many occasions, you know, they say, well, he's awful in, in the ring, but people are tuning in, they're going to see what he's doing. So 
we have to find something to do with them. Yep. Hmm. So it makes perfect sense, you know, to pair with you because you were a good worker, you're very experienced. So, you know, it actually doesn't make sense now, but looking back, you know, when I was a fan of this stuff at this point, I'm like, why isn't he with somebody better? Why don't they bring Ace Darling in or something, you know? <laughs> and there you have it. That's why. Yeah. There you go. See, that's why you got to do these interviews and ask you guys. Yeah, it's very, very <laughs> true. But, you know, uh, moving, you're jumping ahead a little bit. They would keep you with that, man. You know, they kind of were grooming you to be, you know, the next Cruiserweight champ, in, in, you know, in a, in a sense. But you do win a Cruiserweight title, but in a Russo-esque fashion where you're kind of a co-champion with Daphne. They would do things like that, like they would, uh, you know, they would get hot on something. You know, like they, like they seemed like they were grooming me for the cruiserweight thing, and then I went with Daphne. Then all of a sudden, I was kind of dropped. They did a thing where I actually thought it was great and uh, like it was funny, and there was a lot of potential to go somewhere with it. Where I was half-assed stalking the demon, you know, actually, you know, thinking he's Gene Simmons and like half-assed worshiping him, <laughs> and uh, like we actually had some stuff written up for that. I had thrown some suggestions. Oh, yeah, this is great, blah, blah, blah. And it just washed, you know, it just got flushed right down the toilet for no reason. So that was kind of done. And like, and it was funny. And then after, like, like after that, for no reason, it was just gone. So like, I mean, that was one thing that happened at that time. There were, there were a lot of things that were started that, you know, could, could, could have had potential to, you know, Escalate and mean something, and they were just over uh, over before they started with no continuity. Absolutely, and then like the cruiserweight thing with Daphne, it kind of made no sense to begin with because why wouldn't you just have a few with Christine Dito straight up for the cruiserweight title? Would have been better. Which would have been great. We had worked millions of times on on the independents. We had one singles match. I believe it was it was on. Nitro or Thunder, I can't remember what one, but they gave us like I think six or eight, or like eight minutes, and I thought it would like came off fantastic. I I had really good chemistry with Chris. We worked great together. I I loved him personally and professionally. He was just an awesome dude, and was, we would speak about how much potential we had to work with each other. You know what we could do. We, we had ideas for this match, the next match, and this match, and then you know just as Fast as they did the first match, it, it was over and done. So there was just really no continuity. I think there was definitely a potential there, but it just, you know, unfortunately just never happened. Seemed like a lot of, you know, start and stop from WCW and a lot of weird issues that they would always do. Or, or you know, maybe just like the booking committee never really had a set plan. They were just kind of booking week by week. Very strange by WCW, you know, a lot of the time, especially from a fan's output can't even imagine being, you know, a worker there and, and, you know, living it. Sure. And it just becomes, it is what it is. I'm going to TV and I'll do whatever, you know, that's what it becomes, you know, like, and, and you try to make the, the most of it, but ultimately it, it takes a lot out of your passion for it. I could definitely see that. And you, like you mentioned, you were, you know, you were a fan first and, and, you know, there's some cool things that can come out of it, even if they don't make sense. And then one of the cool things I thought was that, you know, they, they kind of make it a hardcore champion, which is, you know, a little bit different. They're kind of kind of copying up WWF a little bit. But, you know, at least you get to feud with somebody who's an absolute legend, and that was Terry Funk. Uh, yeah, that was awesome. You know, actually, one of my favorite matches of all time, I've been saying this for years and years and years, was the New York knockout, Flair and Funk, way back when. And that was really a hardcore match before, 
you know, things are actually called hardcore. You know, they use tables and chairs, the microphone wire, and, and they wrestled too at the same time. It it wasn't just a whole bunch of. I'm one thing I hate is when they label something hardcore match, and and, and this is basically like a guy goes in in the ring and. He, he, he dumps a garbage can filled with shit out in the middle of the ring, and let two guys just hit each other with stuff. I hate that. Uh, to me, a hardcore match is, you know, um, might start out with a little brawl, or the, or there is a r- actual wrestling involved, and you, you work your way around to the stuff around the ring, you know, the table, the microphone wire, uh, the bell, the rails, stuff like that. I hate when stuff is planted in a garbage can, and, you know, just two guys... Whack the shit out of each other with stuff. I uh, it takes no talent. I hate watching matches like that. But Terry Terry was one of those guys. If you you watch the New York Knockout, it was a brawl, but you saw wrestling moves. You saw you know, like you saw fisticuffs. You saw punching and kicking. And at the right moments, they integrated the props. You know the with the weapons. You know and and we tried our best to kind of do that during our our hardcore matches, you know, we, you know, we were kind of locked in there to where they wanted this prop used, that prop used. We're going to give you a, like a garbage can and we're going to throw a whole bunch of crap in it. We want you to use this, but we also tried to tell a story to where it wasn't just two people playing whack-a-mole on each other. Hmm. And, you know, obviously the fans can see, what's kind of a quote-unquote, you know, spot fest or, you know, just like, you know, just a weapons match as opposed yeah. to something like, you know, Flair and uh, Funk, which was a great I quit match, which is much more than just them using weapons. It's, you get invested, basically. And those other matches, it's like, eh, it tells a story. A yeah, it tells a story, exactly. Yeah. You think telling a story, is that missing a lot in wrestling today? Is that why wrestling is kind of like missing the boat a lot today? What, telling a story? Well, it's, yeah. it's harder and harder. It's harder and harder, harder to tell story. Some of the matches are getting shorter and shorter. On an independent show, you'll see longer matches, and you'll get to see guys develop a story. You know, TV. You know, they have segments. They got to get X amount in and X amount of time. Uh, you know, some of the matches are very short, but you know, I've also seen other ones where they give the guys time. So, uh, as as a whole, I think there's less storytelling, but when they allow the guys to do it, you know, you see some good stuff. No doubt. And, so, you know, some of the guys are kind of underutilized today, but if I could just rewind back again to uh, WCW because, you know, you're, you're feuding with Funk, but the end is near. WCW is, you know, is coming to a close, and which eventually was just crazy enough, you know, gets purchased by Vince McMahon and the WWF, but did you see the you know the end of WCW coming, or were you were you shocked? We we were all really shocked because prior to the Vince McMahon purchase, it really seemed like the Eric Bischoff purchase through Fusion, you know, uh, I think it was called Fusion Ventures or something like that. Seemed like that was where the where the company was going, you know, and everybody was prepping for it. Eric Bischoff was was backstage, and it seemed like a a done deal. And then uh, when when the bomb dropped, that let a TBS and TNT weren't going to were going to carry the wrestling anymore. That killed the deal. Why? Why? Why would you buy a, a wrestling company that didn't have have a TV deal in place? And then the next thing you knew, I got released, and then shortly thereafter, 
after we find out that the, the actual purchaser of WCW would end up being Vince McMahon, and you know he buys it for for a song and dance. He has all kinds of content for the network. Game over. Vince wins. Yeah, and unfortunately, because it's funny, you know, you're looking back and you're like, oh, you know, Vince, he's going to do all this great stuff with it, and you know, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be WWF against WCW, and none of that happened. And then you fast forward almost to, you know, 14, 15 years later till today, and the rating is lower than it was in 1997. So pretty crazy. I get, you know, would you say maybe that you need that competition? You need a WCW out there? I think so. During the Monday night wars, one of the things as, you know, I was involved in with the business at at the time, but, you know, as I said, most guys will never admit it because they're they're ashamed, but, you know, we're all a fan first and like a foremost, anybody that says that they're not is a, a, a friggin' liar. I'm just telling you that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, as a fan, one of the things that was so intriguing was watching guys jump from side to side. I, I think that was in, that was really interesting when you started seeing the NWO form, and it was all former WWE guys. And I was like, wow. But then you would see WWE, uh, WCW guys showing up on uh, – WWF at the time. You also had had uh, like ECW at the time, and guys from were being plucked from there, and it was really intriguing to watch how they would be used when they got up to the main show. You know, like when you got to see an Eddie Guerrero go to Nitro, or Dean Malenko go to Nitro, Rey Mysterio, Psychosis, Chris Jericho. When you saw those guys showing up, and then you saw Raven and uh, you know Saturn and. Stevie and that whole crew, they showed up on uh, Nitro. That was very intriguing there. And then, you know, when you weren't sure what was going on and you had Tom flip-flopping back and forth, I, you know, I just thought it was a very, uh, it was really an exciting time to be be a wrestling fan. And I I think that's one of the things that drives the competition is if you have a competition that's eh or really not watched, not really a big deal, a big deal, but when you have two very strong companies that viewers watch both equally or somewhat equally, when talent jumps back and forth, you tune in to see what they're going to say. Are they going to acknowledge where they came from? Are they going to bash where they came from? Is that going to be part of the storyline? How are they going to be used? And you're also going to see that talent working with guys that, like in the past, you may have owned only imagined, you know what I mean? Oh, oh it, you know, for example, uh, you, you know, Kevin Min- Nash comes in, and, and now you can see Kevin Nash versus the Giant, Kevin Nash versus Sting, Kevin Nash versus and uh, Hulk Hogan, guys that you know before that was those were matchups that were on, only discussed on hotlines or in wrestling magazines where where you would see the fantasy matchup, who'd win. You know, for example, Kevin Nash versus Hulk Hogan. Well, now it's happening. You know what I mean? So it's when you have good competition and you have characters on both sides that are interesting and you have contracts come and do and guys jumping from side to side, I think that really was a, a unique thing of that time, which, you know, kept people excited. And also speculation, you know, like – you know, you have uh, just to grab a name. I don't even know if this is a true story or not. But like Chris Jericho is in the ECW, getting a like a huge name for himself. He's a great worker. Blah 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 blah. And and you'd have fans discussing on on their free time. Oh, I wonder if if WCW will 
I'm, make a play for this guy. I wonder if WWE will make a play for this guy. I wonder what's going to happen when he goes in and how he's going to be used. You know, will they do it well? Will they drop the ball? So it 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 just made for a lot of subject matter to occupy people's thoughts. And even when they weren't watching wrestling, they were talking about wrestling. And and overall, I think that just created a hot atmosphere for, for the business itself. No doubt, that was the best time to be, you know, a wrestling fan. I think was, you know, during that time when there was competition, and it was almost like TNA was coming, you know, around after the WWE, and they tried to be competition, but it never seemed to work out that way. And obviously, you were in TNA in the Disciples of the New Church with James Mitchell, and you were very short time, but yeah, yeah, very short. Though, what was it like in TNA at that point? Did you, did you know, did you foresee them even being able to last a long time, or were you just being like, ah, it's a good place to work for now? I was hoping for them to last a like long time, you know. Of course, competition's good at at the time. The idea was very unique—a uh, weekly pay per view. And uh, you know, ultimately, for me, with TNA, like at the time, they had uh, you know they were a new company on new legs. You know, the finances, you know, and the backing of the company wasn't well known or well documented. Uh, and I, I had gotten a job as you know being one of the disciples of, of the new church, and they wanted me to kind of move down to. Tennessee, you know, love wrestling, love performing, this, that, the, uh, look, 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 the other thing. But I, it was also after WWE, I had taken a full-time job with HealthSouth, had a great job up here as 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 a physical therapist. That, that was a short thing with great pay. I wasn't going to uproot my whole life to go down to Tennessee on, you know, to take a shot on, on a project where if, if, if they decide they're not going to, Use me in in a month and a half or like two months later, then I'm screwed. I have a, a like a lease. I left my job. You know, I I was never going to leave myself that vulnerable. You know, just you know, although I love wrestling and I'm a big fan and I enjoy performing. You know, there's also that very adult side of me. You know, you also got to make an adult decision. You you you're not going to put yourself where you know you're vulnerable to being put in a crappy situation because you know what I mean. It, in wrestling, there's no guarantees. There were no contracts at that time, and it was just, come on down here and uh, we'll use you more. You know, and it was just really all verbal. Which you know, which is definitely risky business. And you, you mentioned the WWE. Was there any chance of you signing with the WWE at any point after WWE? I had a bunch. Had a bunch of dark matches. They all seemed to go really well. You know, had the privilege of uh, working at the Garden, which was awesome. Got a great reaction there not being delusional you know i'm actually behind the i actually got a really nice reaction there uh a lot of people at the time thought i was a shoe in to get a spot up there and it just didn't happen for whatever reason you know it just wasn't meant to be and uh, i use this example every time in hindsight you know it, you know kind of the best thing that it, uh, like ever happened to me had had i gotten signed there's no way i would have ever i met my wife and you know been put on you know the curtain track I am now with my own business, my wife, my family. So it was just wasn't meant to be. And, and me not getting a shot was, you know, just overall better for me. You know what I mean? It was, you know, just didn't happen. Now you mentioned, you know, obviously getting married and stuff, but what are you doing nowadays? I know you got physical therapy place, but what, you know, what is it? Where is it? You know, where, where is it local? I have a physical therapy facility in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Uh, I grew up in Rutherford, New Jersey. So I'm, in, in, kind of a hometown guy there so you know the business has been very successful thank god uh it's myself 
I'm the owner. I have uh, three other full-time therapists. You know, I have two part-time therapists, receptionists, and we have a good deal going in there. My wife is a registered dietitian, so she has her own office in our office there. Uh, you know, and and you know, thank God it's just been going great. You know, I uh, like I do in like I do the indies here and there. You, you know, for fun, I pick and choose. I try not to work for too many crazy people or let people that have, that have a bad rep or have a, a, a reputation for screwing the guys over. And uh, you know, I you know, but. Because I am so selective with where I work and who I work with, I, you know, I, I'm usually able to with request that, that I, uh, I work with somebody that's that's competent and who wants to go. You know, I uh, actually enjoy working with some of the the younger guys. I'm out there strictly for my own enjoyment right now. You know, my main money comes from uh, uh, my facility. You know, which I said is doing great. You, you know, indie wrestling doesn't pay the bills. It like I can't pay the bills. Thank God I'm not dependent on it to pay my bills. Uh, so I, I'm out there for my own own enjoyment to go out there and tear it up for my own, you know, for my own sanity, my own enjoyment, uh, my own fun. So it's, uh, you know, I, I pick and choose here or there. You do maybe one or two shows a month tops, and uh, that's about it. Which is great, you know, to be able to get that flexibility. And you know, just as I wind it down here, you know, we're talking about you know, where you'd like to work and stuff like that. But just you know, almost like a retrospect in your career a little bit. What would you say would be like your favorite match? Because you've wrestled everywhere, and I believe I have this right because I looked this up, and it says you, Terry Funk, Jerry Lynn, Raven are the only guys to ever wrestle for WWE, WCW, ECW, TNA, and then Ring of Honor. I was trying to find out if anybody else has, but is just been you guys that have been able to, you know, figure that out. Well, that's good company there, at least. That's awesome. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, do you have a favorite match or matches you've had in your career? Actually, uh, I I would say right now, if I had to look, look to pick out one, I would, uh, you can find it on YouTube somewhere. There's me and Sabu in a cage match from Australia. You know, it was actually broadcast here on pay-per-view. Like I know it really didn't get that great of a like a buy rate. It was for the WWWA. Uh, we had wrestled the prior month or two months before in Vegas. We did a hardcore match, which was a lot of fun. And then uh, you know we had the opportunity to do a cage match, which was a semi-main on on their pay-per-view. We did some wild stuff. We did some dives off the cage. Some you know he uses his fire. You know, which Sabu only uses here and there, so that was kind of neat. Uh, but the crowd seemed to love it. You know what I mean? So if if you get a chance, you could check that one out. But that's definitely one of my favorites. As far as like just like a like a straight up TV match, there there was one for WC, WCW Worldwide. That I mean, once again, a worldwide show, not the best ratings at all, but uh, pro- probably one of my favorite matches there was against Alan Funk, awesome dude. Uh, you know, they gave us about eight. Um, Minutes on a worldwide, and and it really let us both showcase what we could do, and uh, you know, even now it's one of my favorite matches. So those two are, if the listeners want to check them out, they're both on YouTube. I I know for sure, but there's a cage match, me and Sabu, and then me and Alan Funk from uh, WCW Worldwide. You know, they stick out as two favorites. I'm definitely the WBA one I've seen, which was great, but I'm definitely gonna have to search YouTube for the worldwide because I, I love those matches that happen on worldwide. That a lot of people, you know, they don't realize it, but it's like, man, you know, these undercard shows are really, really good. Yep, Abs- absolutely, yes. 
Now we you know we mentioned a ton of great guys that you've wrestled. I mean, you just mentioned Sabu and Alan Funk you know, specifically. But would you have a favorite opponent in your career? Favorite opponent? That's uh, that's tough. I have so many for uh, so many different reasons. Like uh, anything I've ever done with Ace, either as a uh, like opponent or, or as a, like a partner, when you're working with one of your best friends out there, it's always fun. You, you know, sometimes you, you know it's always you, you know you always you know what you talk out there. Danny Doring, you know, like another person I consider to be one of my best friends. Uh, I, I I actually had one match too. I'm still trying to dig it up. It's it's uh, like it's somewhere it was in Philadelphia that me and Roadkill had a match. Who's he's just an awesome, awesome dude. You know, I've become very close with him since actually leaving wrestling uh, full time. So I, I mean, Ace, Doring, Roadkill, Terry Funk, just because I was a huge fan of his growing up. Sabu is always, you know, we always seem to have great chemistry. I really can't name one. Alan Funk was was one of those matches. It's just, uh, uh, you know, just for different reasons, you like different matches. Uh, you like him for the energy, for the excitement, for the, the match itself. Uh, but for WWE, me and Norman Smiley had a lot of what you would consider garbage matches. You know, like uh, 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 I talked about before, they wanted a hardcore match, and it was the kind of a match I totally hate where they just dump a whole bunch of crap in the ring, but working with Norman, who's just a great guy, it, it, it was just we had a lot of fun with these crazy matches, and that made it fun. You know, it not my ideal match, but but because you're working with such a great person, you know, it, it, it makes it an enjoyable experience. One match recently that I thought was going to be a, a complete debacle, you know, when we did the uh, Extreme Reunion, you know, it was me and uh, Jerry Lynn, and that was a whole story in and of itself. He had a, uh, we had gone downstairs before the show had started. You had an energetic rabid crowd that was easy uh they were easy they were easy they were easy 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 the most excited crowd i've ever seen you know they were outside the building lined up chanting like crazy uh then you know finally it comes time for our match we come up from the downstairs and this once happy and and energetic rabid crowd that was excited to see wrestling is 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 chanting in unison this this show sucks, and so and me and Jerry Lynn have to like we have to go out there, and we get in in the ring. They're chanting "Save this show," and they probably they probably meant it more for Jerry than me because they they probably expect him to save a show a whole lot more than me. And you know we end up having a great one out there, and actually you know some people say "Save the show," so you know that was a really cool experience as well. What do you uh, what do you think of those ECW reunions and uh you know for it being a chance for the fans to reconnect uh with a guy we were just speaking to the Blue Meanie recently and he said that the demand is there from the fans it's not just the guys going after bookings it's actually still a demand there. What do you think about the uh the legacy of ECW when you look back at it? The, the demand is there from the fans and there's a handful of guys I could go out there for novelty's sake and you, you know they're able to somewhat entertain with the people you know, and give the people what they want to see. A lot of the guys just can't physically do what the people want to see. You know, so it when you book one of those things, you have to be, you have to be careful because that's still an old school ECW fan base. They want to see some old old ECW type action. Just a lot of those guys can't provide old school ECW action. You know, so it's 
I think they're great. I think they should continue. I think they will continue, but I think you really have to make sure you have a good mix out there of, you know, guys that they may be happy just seeing out in the ring. You know, you know, it's a good novelty to see this guy again and, you know, rah, rah, ECW, this is one of the founding fathers, what have you. But you also got to intermix in that card to some of the guys that could still go but because ultimately these fans want good wrestling still. And and I think that's one of, of the main things that happened on that first Extreme reunion show was that a, you know, a, a lot of the guys just weren't providing the action that the people wanted to see. Exactly, yeah. And actually, one thing I really want to touch on before we uh, we get to uh, your plugs here at the end is that, you know, what you do now in, in physical therapy and, and seeing how guys do break down after the crazy bumps and this, the, the wear and tear on your body, you know, how is how can you say, you know, to a guy coming through the business now how to take care of themselves, you know, versus maybe 15, 20 years ago where people really didn't have that, you know, foresight to think like, well, I can't do this in 20 years, you know, taking the bumps that I take now. Well, what kind of advice you would give to an up-and-coming talent uh, with what you know now? Well, going back, you know, like I said, like, we could go back to the discussion we had with uh, me and Steve Carino and guys of that time on, on the independent shows. We went out there and we killed each other, you know, just because we were trying to give great action and, you know, put on a great show and really build a name for ourselves, yada, yada, yada. You know, the truth is, you know, you find out down the line that, you know, if you want to ultimately make it somewhere, be it WWE, be it TNA, Ring of Honor, wherever, you want to give great action, but top guys there, if you're going out there killing people, they don't want to work with you. So you you have to find a happy medium where your in-ring stuff looks great, but, you know, you're seen as a safe wrestler. You know what I mean? Because, you know, while the fans may like seeing some of this wild, crazy stuff, from, from, from a business standpoint, from a political standpoint, guys that are on top aren't going to want to work with a guy that that's seen as somebody that could potentially hurt them or that, quote-unquote, maybe, maybe works too crazy or too hard. So you have to find that happy medium, I think. And, and the quicker you figure that out, but the better, you know, it, it, it took me years to figure that out. And, uh, you know, it, 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 you know, in some instances on the independence, it may have helped me, you know, but going up like into the higher ranks, it may have harmed me or uh, they may have held, like may have held me back. So it's really finding that happy medium where you're doing stuff that looks great, looks exciting, but th- the overall energy of the, you know, the overall product is safe and uh, people want to work with you. And physically, how do you feel uh, these days when your you know your primary ring days are behind you? You still get in every uh, every couple times a month, but uh, how are you feeling physically? Uh, like I feel pretty good. It sounds arrogant, maybe, but I uh, love the fact that I uh, like, like I could pick and choose my shots. And when when I do pick a show, if it's with the right uh, opponent, I, I could show up out there and you know do one of the like easily one of the, the top two matches on the show and I could still do that. I, uh, I'm physically able, able, able to, I've kept my body in shape. I'm still in cardio shape. I haven't let myself go. I haven't, uh, you know, I'm not a guy thrown on, on the t-shirt and sweatpants because I, I don't look good in, in tights anymore. And it, it, I could still go. You know, it's not my full-time thing. It's something I do for fun, yet it's still something that I take pride in. It's something I enjoy doing, and when I do do it, I want to look halfway decent doing it. 
am I in prime TV ring shape? No, because that requires easily two, three hours a day in the gym, which, you know, owning a business, being a father, being a husband, you know, there's just not that time out there. But, you know, for for a guy 41 years old, I think I'm in better shape than a, a lot of guys my age that are still attempting to wrestle. Right, exactly, and that's fantastic to know. Well, before we uh, we close up, we just want to uh, let the fans know where exactly they can find uh, Devin Storm, Crowbar, Chris Ford uh, in the universe, and uh, if they want to get a hold of you, what's the best place they can find you? Uh, I really, uh, I don't even have a, a like website or anything. You can find me on like, Facebook. It's, send me it, and I am if you guys are interested. It's Christopher Ford PT. Uh, no, no upcoming. Dates for the fall right now. I actually had a knee surgery on both knees that I had been putting off for a while, you know. So I should be out out of action probably until like December or January, maybe. You know, I'm taking it easy and and we're focusing on some changes with the business right now. That's you know, we'll, we'll hopefully ultimately ex, uh, like expand our, our clientele and maybe hopefully bring on on a few more hands on on uh, on deck at work and expand the business. So, you know, that's what I'm focusing right on now, but hopefully around December, January, I'll be able to go out there and hopefully steal a show here or there. Nice. Well, continued, continued success with everything that you got going on. And we really, uh, appreciate you. Uh, I really appreciate you getting into all the detail. And I hope I didn't, uh, Go too far deep into the New Jersey uh, geography landscape with uh, all the references nah, man, from earlier in the show. <laughs> nah, man, it's all good. Cool. Well, thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun.